What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk the Podcast. I am Money, the uh, boxer brief convert. Why didn't anybody tell me boxer briefs were so comfortable? I've been telling you. I'm mad. I am so mad. I've been, I, I just spent 28.5 years of my, well, like 28 years of my life wearing panties that bunch up. That are uncomfortable, that tear up in the washing machine after four washes. <laughs> and Box of Bruce been out here this whole ass time? This whole time. Okay. <laughs> so if I'm wearing pants, just know I got on Box of Bruce now because I'm a believer. Okay. <laughs> that, there's a Luther song about make you a believer, but I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> so, um,. I am Nikita, and I think I am still construction zaddy this week. Yeah. <laughs> you know you ain't got no job for me. I do have a job. <laughs> Tommy. Am I? Are you, what are you? A welder? None of a- your damn business. That's what I am. The job is called, it's an industrial mechanic. Mm. Okay. That's what I am. That's, how have you been working here for like a year, and that's the first time you've told me your title? Do we want to move on to... <laughs> <laughs> All right. And today we are joined by a guest. Hi. Would you like to introduce yourself? Um, I am Diamond Styles, also known as Tranny Lou Hamer. <laughs> <laughs> of Marshall's Plate. Yes. Not just a national treasure, but an intergalactic treasure. <laughs> I'm just... I'm. Uh, you just had to get that Thank queer you. science geek stuff Dang. in there. Yeah, I'm gonna keep pushing that. Okay. I like that. All right. I feel like there's so much love in this room today. Like our community contributor segment is gonna be lit as fuck today. Lit. All right. So Nikita, you want to tell the folks how they can listen? You know I do. I love telling the listeners how they can listen. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and. SoundCloud. Did what? I say SoundCloud twice? No. Okay. But you said it last. In, in no particular order. Okay. Um, <laughs> and where can they find us in these internet streets? You can find us in the internet streets. You can find us on Twitter, where our handle is at QueerRockPod. We also have the same Twitter on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook, QueerRock colon the podcast. And you can find us on QueerRock.com. And if you, I always say, if you want to send, you know, a long missive, right, a long letter, like it's, you know, Aaliyah, four-page letter, or like, you know, the 19th century, you can slide up in our Gmail, send, send something a little bit more personal, a little bit more private. You can send it to uh, QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. Yes. All right. And so we are um, an independent grassroots podcast. So we have two ways that you can contribute and keep this podcast going. The first is by basically shouting us out. Use the hashtag QueerWOC. Let people know you're at the live show right now. Send us suggestions for topics because we be scraping the bottom struggling. of the barrel. <laughs> struggling <laughs> to come up with topics. Um, or send us a Curve Chronicle. And uh, that's just like dating woes and wins. Uh, you can do all of that in the hashtag. Hashtag QueerWOC. Or the second way you can support us is monetarily. Um, so you could do that one of two ways. One is you can just hit up our PayPal 
or like I actually I should say one of three ways because we should really just like pass a hat around like please um, but, but um, the PayPal is essentially the virtual hat and it's paypal.me slash queer WOC I mean you can drop off any amount any amount is appreciated much much appreciated uh, this podcast doesn't fund itself it doesn't uh, this, there's, there's no corporation that's ready mm-hmm. to fund mental health socialist queer women of color podcast <laughs> who'd have thought, who'd have thought? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the second way is the patreon and so the patreon is just a more regular way uh, you become what Nikita likes to call a sustainer of the program because it's a monthly donation. We have some suggested amounts on there, but you can do as much or as little as you feel comfortable. And that's patreon.com slash queer walk pod. We should tell the listeners about Diamond. Yeah, Diamond. Yeah. Where can listeners find you in these virtual social media streets? Um, you can find me at Diamond Styles on any platform. It's Diamond spelled the regular way. S-T-Y-L-Z is in zebra. Um, also, Marsha's Plate. Um, Marsha with an S at the end and then Plate. Um, anywhere in those streets, any platform we're on. Yeah. And y'all are on Patreon, too. Yeah. yeah. You can, we like your coins. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to support um, black trans folks and really be a part of our survival and sustaining, please donate. Thank you. Anyway, I take it all. Do we want to move it on along to the Quirock, Quirock, Quirock of the Week? (laughs) Nailed it. We've been practicing. All right. Okay. So, uh, so Diamond is actually a Quirock alum, right? A former Quirock of the Week. Uh, Actually, at our last live show. Yes. It's starting to be a tradition, right? Um, and so we're going to pass that along, and we're going to honor two other queer wives who are in the room. In the room. Um, and we like we're going to we're going to embarrass y'all. We're going to ask y'all to stand up, and we mm. just going to love the fuck out of y'all. So queer walks, queer walks of the week this week two. are Lori Kim Alexander and Rosie Seals. <laughs> some bad bitch highlights but if anybody I know folks are in the room who have organized with them if anybody want to throw in another highlight this is a communal this space is the time to do that. yeah um, and so I guess the the broadest umbrella possible that we can say that we made them queer walk of the week for is because they are the co-collaborators of black Q's pride mm-hmm. and so that's why I was like please stop talking because this is our whole segment <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, if you didn't see, there's a table out there. Um, and so started in 2013, Black Hughes Pride just strives to create accessible events, free, uh, for LGBT folks of color in the city of Syracuse. Um, and so I just wanted to like throw my little like statistic in there. Um, Syracuse has a poverty rate of 34%, which is the highest um, percentage of concentrated poverty for African Americans in the nation. And so I think that's a big deal that Kim and Rozzy, like go out of their way to make accessible free events yeah. for LGBT folks mm-hmm. of color. Um, and so just a little bit about them personally, about why you need to know them. So Rozzy, we've shouted Rozzy out so many times on Rozzy Queer Wild. Syracuse native. Um, just does stuff in the community. Like if there's a if there's something that needs to be done, if Rosie's not like directly involved in like doing it, she's definitely showing up to support. 
Um, she's a former Common Council District 4 candidate. Right, she ran on the Green Party On ticket. Green Party ticket. Outside of the capitalist duopoly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and so then in 2015, that, I don't know if I have that year right, but then Lori Kim joined into Black Cues Fraud. 2015? Yeah, all right. You know, I did my homework. <laughs> um, and so, Kim, y'all, aside from just being, like, such a loving spirit and, like, somebody who will hold you in, like, some dark-ass moments. Very much so. Um, she is a new school alum, a biologist. A total, a total science nerd. Dweeb. Um, <laughs> uh, and so she really wanted to focus on creating a home. Like she said, you know, she started doing it earlier. Like, if this feels good to you, join mm -hmm. and sign up on Black Cues Pride. I'm going to give you that again. Uh, if, this, if this room feels good to you, you want spaces like this to continue and sustain in Syracuse, make sure you sign and get on the mailing list for Black Hughes Pride. Um, they both play key roles in organizing Black Lives Matter Syracuse here. Um, so any of the like large demonstrations or the town hall meetings, or any of that stuff, Kim and Rosie have been like instrumental in uh, creating those things. And just the thing, you know, because we're talking about Queer Walk of the Week, something that um, is uh, really important is that, um, you know, BLM broadly as a movement says, you know, has like these intersectional, making sure that they're putting queer and trans people of color front and center. And at every step of the way, they've even somebody like myself, you know, who ascribes to those values and who's active in the BLM, they're always making sure and pushing us to be accountable to making sure um, that we have um, done that and have and have let us know what we have not stepped up to the plate. And that's and that that kind of accountability is really important. So that's that's also one of the many amazing things that they've contributed to our uh, organizing community. Yes, and so the most recent thing, I didn't even know about this, Nikita Colvin told me, um, but so for those of y'all who may have listened, y'all might know this, or for those of you who have been around Syracuse for a minute, Juneteenth and Pride has always been on the same day in Syracuse. Right. Jordan in the back, like, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so, essentially, what that does for, like, black queer folks is you be gay in the morning for Pride in, like, March, and then, then you go to Juneteenth to and be black, right? right? right. Um, and so, it, like, really put us, I mean, that's intersectionality in action, right? Like, you're going to be gay today or you're going to be black right. today? Like, are you going to go to Juneteenth mm -hmm. or Pride? And, like, we, we've been jokingly calling the day Pride Team because we have to, like, split our time between both events. Well, we no longer have to do that because thanks to three years of pushing, agitating, Agitation. organizing, sustained pressure yes. on CNY solidarity, right queers. CNY pride. That's the oh. wrong white liberal organization. Oh. No. Um, CNY pride. They are now on different days. So <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. And did it and they said and they said, I think when y'all wrote in the statement, they will never ever again you know, change the date. So we, they got that shit in writing, right? They, they said that. And so, and hopefully there's no more pressure that has to be agitated around. But mm. if they ever like back out of that, then we can say, look, you know, or, you know, because of the work of Rosie and Kim and others and Black Hughes Pride, this is the standard that we've pushed you all to set. And now we're going to make sure that you like stick to that standard. Mm -hmm. Just uh, such a huge and important victory. And, you know, organizing always gets the goods. So thanks, y'all. Thanks for making Syracuse a yeah. little bit more lit. <laughs> yes. All right.
So you want to move it on along to community trip? Yeah, people could contribute. If they, if, if anybody in the room had any nice words to say. Okay, Sequoia. <laughs> I love Kim. She is. Well, she won't want to call her auntie. She's like my older sister. And what I love about her is that she always got something in that purse. Right? I was like, my girl dealing with anxiety. She like put this on your tongue. Like. Remedy. I was at her house. My wrist was hurting. Here, put. Tell everybody what the community contributor segment is. A section where people in the community contribute. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm being, don't hurt me. So the community, as Money said earlier, there's different ways that people contribute to this community. So whether you know people are leaving us comments or tweeting using the hashtag QueerWOC, or whether they're donating financially. As we always say, Money and I are the hosts, but we are in community uh, with the rest of you. And yes, we're the ones on the airwaves, but if you all, as Janesia said earlier in one of the workshops, if other people didn't come you know, to listen, then it, it, it kind of would be for not, mm -hmm. right? So we really value um, community. And so we we value community and we want you all to contribute to yes. community. Mm -hmm. Did I do it justice? Yeah, I think so. You, think so. I mean, it wasn't as go, good okay, as it usually is, but it's go okay. Ahead, okay. Um, <laughs> so, let's see. I don't, I'm trying to think, like, where to start. So, you want to, like, go back and forth of shouting out community contributors? We can do that. Was Is there another way you would prefer? Let's go. All right. So, um, first up on community contributors is a co-sponsor of this event. I wanted to shout out if anybody from Color Collective is in the room. Can you please stand? Get the hand clap. Mouth hand up. <laughs> Y'all don't know, like, last night I was, like, having last-minute freakouts about today because um, it's a day-long queer and trans folks of color symposium. And when I saw the Instagram, like, blowing up because Color Collective was, like, basically a street team, like, hey, tomorrow, tomorrow. It just, I don't know. Like, not, not only that, but y'all know how much, like, y'all mean to me. Like, everybody feels like one of my little siblings. And so, even though y'all be making me feel old as fuck sometimes. But <laughs> I love y'all. just about to say, as a, um, I guess I'm an elder queer in terms of <laughs> SU. I'm just, I was just so elated just to see y'all's little young uh, baby queer faces in the crowd. And money is always telling me about the good work that y'all are doing. So, I, I guess as an old bitch, I'm just so excited to see y'all carrying the torch forward. Yeah. And Syracuse is definitely not a warm, welcoming campus for queer and trans folks of color. So I just um, salute y'all for like not only creating an org for queer and trans students of color on campus, but to continue it and like keep it going. Cause we know like our stuff tends not to last because we don't get the, the institutional support that other orgs get. So shout out to y'all. Um, 
is Jorge and like Joe and the resource center here? No? Okay. <laughs> so we just wanted to recognize the LGBT Resource Center specifically. Like, Jorge been everywhere between yesterday and today. Right, <laughs> Thank you so much, like, for all the hundreds of emails it took yes. to like make today possible. Um, Y'all are just incredible. The LGBT Resource Center is one of the few places on campus that has always felt. Um, like home or safe. Yeah. So just like thank you for continuing that. I don't want to cry. But like, we would not have met had it not. We would not have met if it center. wasn't for the LGBT Resource Center. Yeah, yeah. Because you know you hate people. You would have never talked to me. This is accurate. <laughs> so like yeah. So just thanks to the LGBT Resource Center. Ooh, it's just it's a spirit in this. Room. I know. I'm like. <laughs> and so oh God, I'm just so I'm just so excited. And I also, we have a community contributor for the Patreon. Okay. Why are you looking like I'm not supposed to be doing this? Uh, no, it's just like, oh, go ahead. What? I'll let you finish, go. Okay. So, uh, we have a new patron, Deborah. So, I just wanted to shout out Deborah. Okay. Hey, Deborah. I know, right? Thank you for your coin. Exactly. So, she became a sustainer of the program. And we encourage the rest of you all to be like Deb and become sustainers of this here program. Yes. Um... So also in the community contributors, I, uh, so y'all hear about our like podcast network or almost every episode of the podcast, but it's really because like this, like you can't do podcasting in isolation. And so I really just want to shout out like the, the, the congregation, oh, the, the Black Daddy Brigade for coming yes. from New York City. Thank y'all so much. T with Queen and Jay. And the inner hoe uprising. <laughs> I love when my hoe uprising. I know. <laughs> Lovingly known as the host. <laughs> Cheers and Queens podcast as well. Thank you. <laughs> so, ready to move it on along to my personal favorite segment. You know, I just always. Um, love go. this segment so much. I'm about to hear a song live. Is that what it's about to be right here? Something. All right, here we go. Now I gotta guess. Let me unbutton some of my vocal cords to be able to do it. Okay. She's got all the tips waiting just for you. And it helps to know that her heart is true. When anxiety's really running wild, money's got the tools to help ease your mind. That's a lot of words. Okay. <laughs> Let money come inside, cause your feelings you can't hide. She will be there for you when things get hard to hold. Okay, fucking up the rhythm. That's okay. <laughs> Money won't misunderstand when your psyche's out of hand. She just needs a little time to heal you with love. Don't walk away, no. Money will help heal you. Don't walk away, no. The mental moment's right there for you. <laughs> I 
know when I when we edit, you know, I can clean it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not a performer. I'm not Just Beyonce. On the spot. Uh, no. <laughs> winter and this is so funny because like today is nice but the, look look at everybody <laughs> look at everybody not from Syracuse like I was like, hey. the city delegation is like oh no 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 yes. <laughs> this, is a, this is a beautiful day in Q's uh, <laughs> um, but when I, when I actually wrote this it was like uh, what was it Thursday that like first real cold day of the year um, and so I was like, okay, we, we all getting into that um, season. I want to prepare us. So y'all know I love alliteration and acronyms. So I came up with an acronym of how to win winter. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Shut up. Okay. <laughs> uh, and so not to put, like, put a damper on the beautiful weather that we do have today, but it is a nice autumnal day. It's a, it's a, you know, this is actual fall. Not in the Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so this is projected to be the coldest um, start to winter that Syracuse has had in 114 years. Oh my God. Yeah. And Syracuse is also number eight for the top 10 depressing winter cities, means that we're number eight on the list for like seasonal affective disorder. For those of you who don't know, seasonal affective disorder is like a seasonal depression, essentially. Yeah. Um, and we're number eight. Uh, Rochester and Buffalo also make the top 10 so <laughs> and it's like not a coincidence because we don't get a lot of sunlight during the year in general and also because the winters are so harsh yeah um and so but you know there's light at the end of the tunnel I have an acronym of how you can win the winter um yeah and so I am going to so y'all know I like to give sources and it's all gonna be in the description but this is live so like but <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I got all the statistics and stuff about Syracuse and like the winters from Syracuse.com's like weather um, segment. And then I also have been, I got into like a wormhole, y'all, about like how to survive winter. And I did, I just nerded out about mental health in winter. Um, so how to win winter. The W is for weighted blankets. Yeah. Right? Okay. Okay, so first of all, I have to say, like, weighted blankets kind of cost a lot of money. I was, like, looking at prices and stuff, but don't worry. I'm a DIY bitch, and I saw this YouTube video of this girl who made her own oh weighted blanket gosh. using, like, rice. And it makes sense because I've, I've made like heating uh, stuff using rice. Like heating Yeah, but basically you just like get two blankets and you like section section by section and put a bag of rice in each section and you have a weighted blanket that costs like a fraction of... 
so so think about a blanket, right? If you just like sew it into segments. Like a quilt. Like a quilt, right. So I got to have like 16 bags of Uncle Ben's? Yes. But 16 bags of Uncle Ben's is $16 as opposed to $130 for a weighted blanket. Okay. Touche. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Accessibility. I see. This is, this, is, this is your segment. I stand corrected. <laughs> um, so for those of you who don't know, weighted blankets are just blankets filled with like pellets or chains to like add weight. Why do these things work, right? I told y'all I nerded out, so y'all better be ready. Okay, so they help insomnia and anxiety specifically. Um, I need 17 right? of them. <laughs> so a 2015 study by the Journal of Sleep Medicine um, studied 13 adults with like chronic sleep, sleep, sleeplessness, also known as insomnia, and 80% slept longer and fell asleep quicker with the weighted blanket. So this is like chronic insomniacs who are falling asleep and falling asleep sooner than they would have mm -hmm. using a weighted blanket. Um, and so the scientists were like, why is this? Why is this? Essentially, the pressure mimics the sensation of being held. So we are just big babies, y'all. Like <laughs> the lonely beach. <laughs> <laughs> this answers that time old question. What do the lonely do at Christmas? <laughs> they make their own way to wake it. And so when you are held, um, that that like mimicking of that sensation, because also sometimes you can feel the weights in the blanket moving. So it's like a sensory thing. It's like you're being actually held. It releases neurotransmitters in ways that decrease our hyperarousal and anxiety. And so obviously, the less aroused you are, not that kind of aroused. I'm about okay. to say. <laughs> we're talking about stimulation, right? Stimulation <laughs> as you as you air grab breath. <laughs> Neuroscience and anxiety without y'all getting nasty. <laughs> what else does this blanket come with? Vibration. I might say maybe uh, the freaks can attach a dildo. To the I'm just throwing ideas out. You know, I'm just. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so, so the more relaxed you are and the less aroused you are, the quicker you can go to sleep. Obviously, and the, the uh, better sleep you can have. Um, and so for maximum for maximum like effectiveness the blanket should be 10% of your body weight So like if you weigh like 185 pounds the blanket should be like 18.5 and They sell them in like these increments. I've seen really really heavy ones like 50 pounds I don't know what that would feel like like sleeping with 50 pounds on me. I don't want that but like, <laughs> I mean, hot. Yeah, but yeah, so the W weighted blankets I indoor activities that get you moving. Mm, that's real. So, uh, so a lot of things that um, contribute to seasonal affective disorder is how different we live our lives than in the summer. Um, one of those being like becoming sedentary. Mm -hmm. uh, so when you move and exercise, everybody knows this. Your body releases endorphins, which are basically happy hormones, um, and they balance out th things that like we aren't doing because it's winter. So like in the summer, we're usually like walking around, moving more, so our body is releasing more happy hormones. And so if we find indoor activities that do the same thing, you know, you get to conquer that in the winter. What's your indoor activity gonna be? That's what I heard, yeah. Twerking would be there. Yeah. And it helps with back pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, spinal health. <laughs> well, what about for those of us who can't twerk? 
learn. Try. It's the perfect season to learn. Right. I'll do that for the next nine months of winter. Just be in my mirror and trying to. Okay. Naked, like a queen. <laughs> Everything it really is coming full circle. It really is. Okay. Um, you know, and like indoor activity can also like balance out those holiday meals that we mm-hmm. <laughs> tend to pick up in the winter. And in is for network and socialize. So another big contributing factor to seasonal affective disorder is that we isolate in the winter. Yeah. Like we don't want to go outside. We don't see people. Ain't nobody coming over your house because they're not trying to walk through two feet Ain't of snow to get there. Nothing. Exactly. You got to dig your car out to go. So we're just not doing that. So we tend to like isolate in the winter. Um, so when you are socializing and like communal, uh, it's strength. Uh, so I just needed to say this because a couple episodes ago I talked about. Um, like eating disorders and struggling with eating disorders and like the number one contributor for like not dealing with that was a sense of community support and so again I went into a wormhole and was like is this a thing like does community support obviously it does Um, so a strengthened sense of community is uh, has been scientifically proven like through research um, to be a preventative factor for things like depression eating disorders, self-harm, suicidal thoughts. So, like, imagine, like, a whole season that you're isolated, right? So if you start to prepare for that now while the weather is still mild um, and, like, have have your people that you're going to, like, FaceTime or WhatsApp chat with for those of us who don't have uh, Apple products, um, you know, like, you you start to build in that community that you're going to have through the cold winter months. Uh, so yeah, so that's my acronym. When W weighted blankets, I indoor activities that get you moving, and N network and socialize. That was. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, money. All right. Oh. You just feel so self-satisfied. You're like, shit, I'm done. I know. Cause I didn't know what I was gonna do. Nikita had her word already, and I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do for the live show. But I did something. You came through. That was solid. Oh, here we go. Ding, 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 ding. And now, a word from our bi-weekly womanist worker, wordsmith, wizard, (laughs) Nikita. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Please please get rid of the yeah. I'll I'll just be right there, and I'm just like, yikes. (laughs) If I have to put up with song tunes that I don't know, you but have that's to put up your with problem, that. not mine. <laughs> you do you hear that? <laughs> People are like I, I agree. That makes me think about that in Vogue. Mm, that's right. You know who in Vogue is now. Do you know who in Vogue is? Now? I know who in Vogue is now. Okay. Stop. All right. So be ashamed of my own program. <laughs> Maybe I should start making you playlists. Mm. I said that a curriculum. A curriculum. I would hit you, but I'm afraid DPS is gonna come up. I was say they are right downstairs, <laughs> and that's against everything that we stand for. There's that piece too. Oh yeah. <laughs> anyway, do we stand for nonviolence? I don't. Oh, it depends on who it's targeted towards. Okay, kidding NSA because I know you're recording that, ready to haul us off to something. Okay, so we have a live audience. So, can you raise your hand if you've ever heard of the Gay Liberation Front? Okay, a handful of people. Um, so that's what I want to talk about for the word today. And like you, I was also in a rabbit hole. You say wormhole. That's so cute. Um, I, that, that's not a shady and I didn't yes, mean it, it to be. Anyway, 
So we are in LGBT History Month, and on National Coming Out Day, I was looking, I was trying to find out like who started this, like who decided it was going to be um, October 11th, and then I realized that that was it was chosen on Oct, Oct did I say October? October 11th, and that was because there was that was the date of the second annual uh, National March. It was a march on Washington for gays and lesbians. And the thing that I was most interested in is that this was just a quick Wikipedia search, and I saw who was on the speaker list, and then I saw what the demands were. Like, I had no idea that Cesar Chavez, right, the United Farm Worker uh, leader and organizer around, you know, it was Chicanos and uh, Filipinos and other Asian Americans um, in the field. So Cesar Chavez spoke at this, um, at that march. And then I saw that for one of the, and Jesse Jackson spoke at that march. And then for the demands, there were six or seven demands. And then one of the demands was, um, so most of the demands were around um, expanding the rights and protections for uh, gays and lesbians. But like the last demand, just kind of like a little throwaway line where they were like, an end to all systemic racism and an end to apartheid in South Africa. And I was like, whoa, like that's not, right? There's, there's kind of, the kind of shorthand and the way that we talk about the movement now is that, you know, there's those of us who say, you know, the movement right now is, or a lot of the big institutional um, organizations are middle class, cis, white men, right? And so that's kind of the thing where we say, we're, those, are the, those are the organizations that tend to lead, get the most funding and get the biggest visibility. And we say, um, you know, everybody talks about Stonewall, right? When mm -hmm. the, you know, we're going to be coming up on that 50th anniversary next year. And so kind of the shorthand way that we kind of talk about it now is that, you know, there was the riot in 1969, and then somewhere along the way, it yeah. turns into like this corporate, right. yeah. um, you know, white, cis, middle class uh, bullshit, right? And so the thing that I think that is important to um, talk about, whether we're talking about now or whether we're talking about historically, is that there's always a different range of politics and tendencies when you're talking about any kind of movement, right? And um, so the same kind of tensions that we see that are in the uh, movement right now, specifically around race, around class, um, around transphobia, around you know whether to be tailing um, the Democrats and you know stances on capitalism, um, those these things are not new, right? Um, so I think that that is um, important to talk about, that these uh, disagreements and these political tendencies and splits are not new. And um, again, it's like you don't just go from 69 to like now. So it's like, what are some of the histories of the different, uh, specifically radical um, organizations that were influencing uh, the movement? So, I want, so before we um, say a little bit about Stonewall, in the, in the 1950s, there was this group called the Mattachine Society. And the Mattachine Society was a very, it's kind of like a very apologetic, apologetic kind of approach to being gay. It's like, you know, we're gay, but you know, please don't try to hate us, that kind of thing. And, it was like, and they, were very, they just wanted to be you know, tolerated. Right, and even the name, they, they chose the term, they were a part of what they called the homophile movement because they didn't want to have any kind of relation. They didn't want to, they didn't want to um, even make people think that they were talking about sex. So it's like, you know, file, a lover, like a bibliophile, right? Um, so, I mean, we already see where they are in terms of their uh, politics. They're very conservative, kind of keep it on the hush, you know, please, like broader society, just let us exist, right? 
And that's interesting because, you know, and because it's me, I find out that the group was actually started by a communist and a labor organizer named Harry Hay. And so even this conservative organization had uh, radical roots, but within the 50s, it's a period of conformism and like assimilation. And you think about like suburbs and nuclear families. So that, that, those radical roots, um, for many different reasons that I'm not going to get into right now, are um, kind of go underground, right? And so there's a, there's a, the lesbian counterpart to um, the Mattachine Society was the Daughters of Belitis. And that was another sort of uh, conservative, kind of like we're going to keep our, um, you know, we're going to keep our lesbianism like under wraps. And they even told the readers of their. Uh, I can even do that. <laughs> Sorry. How do you I'm, not? How do you be a lesbian under wraps? Girl, I don't know. That's not my ministry. That ain't, that, that ain't me. <laughs> Um, but and it's interesting because um, Lorraine Hansberry, even though she was a radical around so many other issues, she actually secretly wrote letters um, in the magazine of the Daughters um, of, mm. of Belitis, right? So that kind of politics post Stonewall, right, in 1969, just become untenable, right? So. The movement then turns to, or like the actions at Stonewall demonstrate that people are going to be totally unapologetic. And like, if the police are bashing people over their heads, you can't, you you can't like retreat into yourself. You can't um, like go underground and try to assimilate and fit into the broader society, mm -hmm. right? So that happens. So we know Stonewall happens in 1969. But I think that the important thing to talk about also is that. It's important to get a sense of the broader political context about what was happening in the late 1960s. And I feel like I keep mentioning him, but so it's because I just started reading his book. Max Elbaum has this book called Revolution in the Air. It's like 60s radicals turned to Lenin, Mao, and Che. And so the, the title of the book is so apt because a lot of the people that he talks about, and he you know, was himself a part of like the, the new left and the new communist movement, and people said that they felt like they were on the cusp of worldwide revolution. So that's the broader political context that people are acting in response to the, you know, the police raid at Stonewall, right? And I just want to give you a little bit of, um, uh, so actually I want to quote before I do that, uh, lesbian, uh, uh, excuse me, Leslie Feinberg Presente, yes. um, also uh, just an amazing radical revolutionary communist with us and used to live uh, right here um, in Syracuse. So Leslie Feinberg actually interviewed Sylvia Rivera in the late in the late 1990s. And so Sylvia Rivera said this, and we of course know Sylvia, Sylvia Rivera is an amazing uh, Puerto Rican uh, trans woman who was very active in a lot of, not just in gay liberation, but in these broader revolutionary and radical movements. And so this is uh, what Sylvia Rivera says. So she says, all of us were working for so many different movements at the time. Everyone was involved with the women's movement, the peace movement, the civil rights movement. Uh, we were all radicals, and I believe that's uh, what brought it around, right? So this is so you can see that the broader context shaped how people's people's response to Stonewall. And I just want to give you a sense about some other things that were explosive that were happening during this period. So there was a, a range of urban rebellions that were happening in the um, 1960s. So in 1964, there were just 15 urban rebellions. 1965, there were nine. But in 1968, again, the year before Stonewall, there were 131 
urban rebellions, right? And then again, you know, Cesar Chavez and the United Farm Workers are going on strike um, in the fields. And I did not know about this, but there is this group called the Alliance of Free Peoples. And this was a group in uh, New Mexico, and they conducted an armed takeover of, of a county courthouse in New Mexico. <laughs> and then in 1968, the leader, Reyes Lopez Tiarina, he was acquitted for going in and doing an armed occupation in 1968. So can you imagine, you'd be like, well this motherfucker's over here taking over the courthouse, we go, we go riot up after the Stonewall shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then wow. in um, May of 1968, get in Paris, in France, there were 10 million workers went on strike. It was a general strike. That was 22% of the population. Can you imagine 22% of the population just saying, no, we're not going to work, right? And then what, um, in the book, uh, Max Elbaum talks about how a lot of those workers and those students were coming over to the US and giving eyewitness testimonies and accounts about what was happening. So again, the mood is, I mean, I was just reading this book, and I was like, this shit is electrifying. I was like, I want to burn something down tonight, <laughs> right? And so, and uh, lastly, just another point to paint the picture, in 1969, it was between 500,000 and 800,000 people marched on Washington to protest the war in Vietnam. And so, to shift now to talk about, like, talking about Vietnam is a good way to shift to talking about the Gay Liberation Front, because the Gay Liberation Front actually, as an, as an homage and an honor to the National Liberation Front, and the National Liberation Front was the radical uh, group of revolutionaries that were fighting in Southeast Asia in Vietnam during the war. And so, and that underscores the sort of anti-imperialist radical politics that this new organization was going to be espousing and trying to practice, right? So um, they wrote in an editorial, right, about the Gay Liberation Front. And it's interesting that this group was formed because post-Stonewall, even the conservative Mattachine Society was like, well, I guess we probably should do something. Right, they just you know the police just raided this place, so they formed a meeting, and the Gay Liberation Front was formed in this meeting that the Mattachine Society called after the Stonewall Rebellion. So in the uh, San Francisco Free Pe Press, one of the um, one of the organizers of the GLF said this: Gay Liberation Front said, "Those who see themselves as oppressed, politically oppressed." by an oppressor that not only is down on homosexuality, but equally down on all the things that are not white, straight, middle class, pro-establishment. It should hearken to a greater cause, the cause of human liberation, of which homosexual, homosexual liberation is just one aspect. Right? And that, that is a far cry from what the fucking HRC right now, Human Rights mm -hmm. Campaign, right? But this, this is our history, this radical revolutionary group. And I think for a lack of a, for a better word, that's a, because of the work of women of color, feminists who are also involved in these struggles. You know, again, people like uh, Barbara Smith and Audre Lorde. Uh, this is what we now understand as like intersectional interlocking oppression, right? And so they were very clear that they were committed to that set of politics, right? And like I said at the opening, it's always been clear that there's been tensions within uh, organizing, within different groups. So a group actually broke off of the Gay Liberation Front, and they called themselves the Gay Activist Alliance because they were basically like, y'all are talking about too much, you know, this anti-capitalist stuff, you know, this stuff about like people of color, all this other radical shit, we're not trying to do all that. So they broke off, and uh, they just only wanted to solely focus on the discrimination against um, against gays, and they not only did they solely want to focus on that, but they only wanted to focus mainly on lobbying. 
And so while, again, you have people in the streets, uh, you know, post Stonewall, you know, rioting, and that, again, these marches in the hundreds of thousands, they're like, ooh, we're just gonna go like the lobbying uh, route, right? And so another group that formed um, out of the gay liberation um, front was STAR, which was uh, Street Transvestites Action Revolutionaries, Ooh, right? Marsha P. Mar yeah. P. Johnson, but created by Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. And I thought, and I didn't know this, but it was just so apt that I found this story because we're right here at a university. And the whole reason why STAR was founded, or one of the big catalysts for STAR was that there was actually, um, so the Gay Liberation Front and other organizations wanted to have a, a set of dances to raise funds for uh, housing, for medical, and for legal services. And they did, wanted to do a series of dances, fundraisers at uh, NYU. And then at first they had said, you know, they could do it. And the, and, uh, the students had gone to uh, the student government. Student government said, yes, it's fine, you can do it. But then the administration backtracked and people, you know, rightfully assumed that it was, they were like, oh, well, we didn't realize y'all was doing gay shit. So we're not, <laughs> we're going to go ahead and revoke these permits. Wow. Right? And so what they did, naturally, again, given the mood of the moment, they said, okay, well, we're just going to have a sit-in. Mm. Right? And so um, thousands of students sat in at um, NYU, and it was, and it was in, that, in that moment, that's when STAR, uh, the Street Transvestites uh, Action for Revolutionaries, oh, I'm messing it up, Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries, um, they, they were born um, in, in that moment. And so and they started specifically uh, to provide support um, for even people who are marginalized within, uh, you know, the gay and queer liberation movement. So they did a lot of work um, around supporting homeless uh, uh, trans people, but uh, also um, uh, gay and lesbian folks and other queer folks. And um, they also did a lot of work around uh, supporting uh, uh, trans people who are imprisoned, right? And something that, and you know, it seems like we're always hustling for money. And one of the things that I thought uh, was amazing is that they hustled. Like Marsha and uh, Sylvia did all kinds of hustling. They did uh, sex work. They did house parties. They did a whole bunch were, of shit. Go were, ahead. Go ahead. They were couch surfing. While they were creating this work, they were homeless staying with multiple different people trying to make a space for their community. It wasn't just, oh my God, I'm living like a hog on a hill. It was like, I'm struggling too, trying to make money for myself. Exactly. Uh, Marsha sometimes didn't even have shoes and people on the street because she was really popular because, you know, New York's have like people who, um, certain people that are like just popular, they're like almost touristy kind of things. And she was one of them in, in, in Chris, on, on Christopher Street. People would just see her and come to see and talk to her. And she, they would give her shoes because sometimes she just had shoes that's so run down that she's because she's had them for years and didn't have any. And so even while she was couch surfing and struggling on her on herself, uh, with herself, she still was trying to do the work to mm. be, you know, tangible things to help. Yeah, to be, I mean, like we always uh, stress, to support the rest of the community, Absolutely. right? Just was not like an individual um, kind of hustle uh, or trying to take care um, just solely of herself. And so they actually got a house um, through... Um, like through all of the like hustling and you know raising the funds for it, so they got it. And there was four chapters um, of Star, and unfortunately, it was short lived because it was started in 1970 and it was closed in 19 
It was closed in 1971 because the landlord died. And once the landlord died, the city evicted everybody mm. um, in the building, right? And so um, just, like, just like that, how gross and disgusting is that? Even though that they, they was very short-lived, there were other houses um, that were inspired by them that came up. And so um, I think that that's also like an important point. And because also with the Gay Liberation Front, they were around from 1969 to about 1972. So in the grand scheme of things, these uh, institutions and organizations may not have lasted for as long as we, have, uh, we would have liked for them to in the physical sense, but the, the legacy you know, is huge. And like there was another house that opened um, in 1995. I don't remember uh, where it is, but they were, uh, that house uh, specifically, you know, said that they were um, inspired by Star and Marsha and Sylvia. And they, they called their house the Transy House. And, um, but also just the, just the two last things I want to say around uh, to wrap up is that the, the, the creation of Star was really important because as, as I've talked about this theme of splits, there was transphobia within uh, the um, within the gay movement, right? The gay liberation movement, and uh, so what we now know as the first pride was the Christopher Christopher Street uh, Liberation Day. Um, that was that was the first one was in uh, 1970, but in 1973, because uh, Sylvia was such a bad bitch, there was a uh, there was a, a white lesbian on the stage named Jean O'Leary, and so she got up at this Christ Christopher Street Liberation Day and then proceeded to berate uh, drag queens and trans women on stage, mm -hmm. and so naturally. Sylvia hopped her ass up on that stage and took the mic and, and, the mic and said something to the effect of, um, if it wasn't for uh, drag queens, you bitches wouldn't have had anything. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Did that shit right there at the, um, at, you know, right on the stage. We so. Be snatching more and mics. Was getting booed. <laughs> getting and booed. Was yeah. Getting yeah. Booed at the event. Like, literally booed. Like, really? <laughs> and. Just, um, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, Diamond, but just the, la the other thing that I was gonna say is that there are other leftists, right? So people who were in these movements that um, other people were supporting, like anti-war uh, folks, socialists, you know, other like radicals who also who had these unfortunate like transphobic politics. So the last thing that I wanted to say is that was something that Sylvia talks about in that um, interview with Leslie Feinberg is that she talked about the relationship that she had with the with the Young Lords and like the Black Panther Party. And so uh, in 1970, uh, Huey uh, P. Newton from the Black Panther uh, Party wrote a letter. So the letter was letter from Huey to the Revolutionary Brothers and Sisters about the women's liberation and gay liberation movement. And in that letter, he said that the Black Panther Party had failed on the question um, of uh, gay liberation. And that happened in 1970, and she met him the next year. So she said that he, like Huey and the Black Panther Party were nothing but supportive. And then um, she also mentioned the Young Lords and how there was, uh, there was a march because there was an instance of police violence and police brutality. And the Young Lords invited Star to march with their banner um, in that, in that uh, march. And that was, she said that was the first time that uh, they had like publicly marched in a parade with, with their banner. Um, I, damn, I do this, I'm doing it in person too, but this is for real is gonna be the last thing um, that I wanted to say. <laughs> but I guess, so because I got into this rabbit hole by talking about a national, um, coming out day, I just kind of want to talk about what it would mean for, you know, I know that we all have qualms with the term um, 
coming out, but so much now we talk about it as kind of like an individual thing that you come out to your friends and you come out to your, like your own private personal community. But I think that what this, kind of the politics and the legacy of STAR and of the Gay Liberation Foundation is that you're not just coming out to you know, these, these personal uh, friends, your private you know, relationships, but they were, like, because the world was on fire in that period, it's like that you are coming out, coming out swinging, coming out fighting in the streets because you actually feel like the world can be different. And you are playing an active role in making the world different, right? And I feel like because that we're not, I mean, there's actions and there's organizing that's happening, but because we don't feel like we're on the cusp of worldwide, you know, revolution, right? That, I think that that shapes how we think about coming out, right? So it's like if you're in marches, and again, not where everybody is supportive, but when the, you have tens of millions of people going out on strike, when you have hundreds of thousands of people um, in the march, that gives you a particular set of, again, of confidence about, again, I'm not just coming out, you know, for, for me and my, like, individual self, but it's like I'm, I'm coming out and stepping out into a new society. Yeah. And so um, I, guess, I guess that's a word. That's a word. <laughs> I was just thinking about like I don't know like a lot of times the way like National Coming Out Day gets like um, publicized or like build it's like you don't really I know I didn't at all I'm just sitting here like damn 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 like I didn't know like how radical how queer of color the history of that was so thank you let me add a little bit to that a little bit just to you can do more you, than a little bit <laughs> give you connecting it to like right now so when Sylvia Rivera got up there on the podium and was getting booed and she was like, how dare y'all? Y'all wouldn't yeah. even have this shit that y'all, this little bit, we've tried to fight for more. Y'all wouldn't even have what you have right now if it wasn't for us. And they were booing her. There's a girl named um, Raina Gossett. Yeah. She was yeah. doing yeah. a... Um, she was doing, creating a piece. She's a black trans woman. Yeah. She was creating a piece um, to celebrate um, Marsha B. Johnson and um, Sylvia Rivera and that in that whole movement and she collected like archives of video mm -hmm. like on her Tumblr you can see this video that we talked about of Sylvia Rivera getting booed and just going off on these people so much so that the whole crowd changed so they went from booing to like <laughs> like, like in agreeance kinda and so um, a white executive producer for Netflix yeah stole all of her stuff yeah. that she showed him, stole all of her stuff and created on Netflix right now this this film about giving praise to Marsha B. Johnson, mm -hmm. taking credit. Mm -hmm. Instead of you investing your money in a, black trans in a black trans woman creating this piece, instead of you taking your resources and putting it where it's supposed to be, you steal it and take it in silence, doing exactly what she's talking about in this video. You're trying to silence her and erase her from the whole situation. Right. And it just doesn't, um, repeating the same bad cycle of history does not make us move forward. Yeah. It does not serve us. It keeps us back in just being visible and just being aware that we exist. That's nice. But when it's time to make change, let me just sit you over here because exactly. the good white folks don't like it when you big and drag queenie. Mm -hmm. 
We want to be respectable gays. And even when the end of bill was kind of going up, they literally was saying, hey, we'll let y'all get some of this stuff through, but if you drop the transgender rights. Right, right. yeah. If you drop the transgender rights, we'll go ahead and um, let this go through. And then there was a gay that was like, yeah, let's do it, and we'll bring them along later. No, you won't. It's and never worked never like that. It's never worked yeah. like that at all. Yeah. Nobody ever comes back. No, to get you. it doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. Trickle, we oh, know trickle yeah. down don't work. We know, we know that. that. So going forward, just make sure that if you are creating work that is inclusive of all all of everybody that you're trying to push forward mm-hmm. and if you start from the back end mm-hmm. and push it all the way forward everybody is going to be helped but make sure you you are not repeating the same silly cycles yeah. just to get a little bit ahead mm-hmm. you you want it all mm-hmm. you want all of us to go all of us thanks diamond that's right that's why you here what do you say honey? well that's the black ass bottom line Pretty much. <laughs> it's also a good like segue into the yes. topic segment because like Essentially, our questions for you in the topic um, are about learning beyond classroom spaces. Mm-hmm. We just thought it was like fitting, fitting, sitting at uh, SU. <laughs> yeah, um, and so like I think about the podcast as like ways that I learn outside of the classroom, Likewise. and also like share with other people like what I've learned outside of classroom spaces. So, so um, our first question uh, to quote. That wonderful, black, brilliant uh, bar. What you do with who you do it for. And how you come up with this shit up in the studio. (laughs) It's all you want for your birthday. Okay, no. Okay. (laughs) Wow. The, the the big booties will be uh, downstairs to your left. (laughs) Okay, but but seriously, uh, what do you do and who who do you uh, do it for? There's a lot of things that I do that I, I like when people like say you're in a, on a dating app and somebody say, what do you do? Like there's my income job that I don't give a fuck about. It's just a job. <laughs> but then my work work, it's a lot of things that I do. So I, I'm on the board of a lot of organizations. So I'm on the board of TransFaith, which is a organization that is geared to connecting multiple faiths that... Um, we, everybody on the board is a different faith, and we are trying to make connections with other faith leaders to bring trans people up in that particular faith. And we get, we're giving them, you know, tools and um, language and just trainings to help them open up their spiritual space to people who are marginalized, which is what they're supposed to fucking do anyway. They're suppo- this is what you, like, we got to come in and teach you to be Christ-like? <laughs> wow, that's like, a word. What is the whole Bible that you espouse to that tell you how to do it? Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's what that organization do. I love the people on it. They're brilliant. Um, one of the people is Lewis Mitchell. He's a black trans man. He worked with um, Angela Davis and just all these like big leaders. And you can tell it in his spirit that you know he just he's about that life mm-hmm. and he's wonderful. Um, a queer white non-binary person, non um, Chris Page, amazing, brilliant, just this, just this whole group is just amazing. So when they invited me, I was honored and I felt almost like um, not ready <laughs> because I'm not, I'm, I'm early in my stages, of my, I, I practice IFA. Um, so I'm early in my journey in that, so I didn't feel like I had anything to offer and they were like, bitch, come on. <laughs> so I thought that was amazing. 
I'm on the board and steering committee of um, the Black um, Trans Advocacy um, mm -hmm. Conference, and that has been a space that has, um, God, I can't even, to have a conference, has, if you have, has everybody been to a conference? A, a conference can be really isolating and boring and yeah. not the purpose that they want to have is not really what happens there. Um, it's just a lot of people talking about who they are, what they do, and egos running around and all that kind of stuff. This place is like every every year, it's like a fucking black family reunion of trans folks and queer folks and just a, just a fucking safe space. The only place that, mm. that I even feel close to feeling what I feel at Black Trans is Pot Alive. Like, mm. like that, that's literally, <laughs> you know, to, to have, and, and it's, it's a testament to y'all because mm -hmm. y'all have, um, I never, I never thought I would have that from a cis space at all. Mm -hmm. But it's just y'all bad bitches and y'all just amazing. So um, having that space, y'all being Janicia and Queen, Queen and Jay. My life has just, it's just me being the universe putting me in circles of people who are amazing. Like when I first started my podcast, Marsha's Play, it was simply because of t in 2016, when I would hear trans stuff talking, d trans issues coming up on the electoral campaign for people, all they were asking trans folks was about fucking bathroom shit. Mm -hmm. Is bathroom important? Yes, it is, but I need to fucking have a place over my head. Mm -hmm. Right. I gotta eat. Um, if I if I if I have HIV, I need my medicine. I, there's so many bigger things that I, I I need to fall in love with people without them being murdered. Mm -hmm. Like I'm um, Soldier Girl. Like Soldier Girl. Um, did have y'all heard about that movie? There's yeah. a movie called Soldier Girl where a guy was dating a trans woman. Um, her name was Copernia Adams, and they found the people in his barracks found out that he was dating a trans woman and they murdered him. Him. <laughs> just murder her. Usually you, you see the trans woman get killed. He got killed. And so for me, I needed to be able to talk about more. I needed to, it, it's more than a bathroom, yo. It's more than that thing, more than that. And so I would only hear people talk to trans folks about that. And, and I'm black, like I'm mm -hmm. black before I was trans. And so black issues affect me. I, it pissed me the fuck off when they, they're talking about giving um, care to fucking opioid crisis motherfuckers. Well, my mama was a crackhead since the 90s, and y'all weren't thinking about giving her no fucking care. Y'all right. trying to lock her up. There was no sympathy. It was habitual criminals. You three strikes her out type super of shit. Super predators. Y'all weren't giving her super predators. Y'all weren't giving her no care when I needed it when I was younger. Mm -hmm. So I needed more. And so I wanted to create a podcast mm -hmm. for the people who were willing to listen, who might be on a little bit on the fence, who are on my side, who are not wherever. Mm -hmm. There was not a platform that I heard. And it was it, it, how the universe works. It's strange because as soon as I created it and I started to listen to other podcasts, every single, like I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. But every single podcast that I listened to and love said, these two, these two, these two, and we're four, <laughs> and bag ladies. I was listening to them already. 
And all of a sudden, I get an email saying, oh, can you go to um, South by Southwest with us? Like, I'm like, y'all even know each other? <laughs> I didn't even know they knew each other because I hadn't went so far back to hear the interviews that they had done together. So this is how the universe works. And then they just bring it and it brings everything together. So I, I, that's what I do. And I do it to do whatever I little bit that I can do to make some kind of change, sure. some type of more radical awareness. Cause I need more, right. I need more. I don't, I don't need you to, I don't, I don't need to be a Jenny Mock. I love her. She's a brilliant woman. Absolutely. But I need more than just, a pretty face on the stage that can talk really nice, that can talk like the white people. I need more than that. That's, that's great for what it does, absolutely. But I need something more. There's a ratchet trans woman out here exactly. that y'all don't want to talk to because she, she a little ratchet. Yeah. I don't like that. There's an there's a unpassable one that's doing great work that you ain't even fucking talk about, talking yeah. about. Lala Zanel, she does tons of great work mm -hmm. and nobody is giving her platforms. Um, Earlene Budd in, um, in um, Washington, D.C. She's like the fucking Martha, Martha P. Johnson of the medical field in D.C. Like she did tons of work in getting them their health care that they were trying to push them out of. And don't nobody talk about her. Mm. There's a whole conference ran by Mazzoni Center in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. The um, trans Philly. Trans Philly, Philly trans it used to be Philly yeah. Trans Health. Now they change it to wellness something. Um, it was started and created. The groundwork was created by Charlene. And she, she passed away, but you rarely even see her in the programs anymore. She tooth and nail made this, this, this is one of the biggest trans conferences. A black trans woman created it, mm -hmm. and they're like all but erasing her. Not saying, and, and slowly but surely doing it. Like they hired a, a Latina girl. They don't have any connections to the trans community. And they're wondering why we're turning our back on them. And like, you're making stupid ass decisions. And so for me, it's a, that's who I'm doing it for, to hold people accountable, mm. to give people the information when they need it, to be that representation. I'm not the classiest chick. I get ratchet too. I will beat your ass. I will cut <laughs> you out. I will do so many things. Um, it's, that's just what it is. And I and sometimes I don't say words right. And you get what I'm saying? It's, it's just it's just I want to be a representation of somebody who does not have a voice. Have a voice mm -hmm. because I was that person. Mm -hmm. So related to that, so we. We mean it, like queer folks of color often get left out of like conversations around like access to education, mm -hmm. um, like how we get there, how we stay there, what and how we graduate. When we're there, yeah. Um, and so we we all have different experiences as queer folks sure. of color on campuses. Mm -hmm. But you went to an HBCU um, in so, Mississippi. In Mississippi. <laughs> So, can you talk a little bit about your experience on campus? Okay. So, the privilege of having an um, addict mother and being thrown into the system and being awarded the state is that when you're awarded a state, you kind of get exempt for everything and you get to get the full amount of money that you apply for, for FOSFA, to go to school. So, when I went to school, 
I kind of, not a free ride, because I got to pay it back. It's still school loans. I got to pay back. But I didn't have any resistance to them just giving me money because I was a ward of the state. Me and the state was my parents. So that was a privilege that came out of the hard time that I had. And in, in, so when I went to school, I didn't have to worry about the financial part of it. Mm. Um, later on, I'm paying them back now. But, oh, I'm but, never going to pay my back. <laughs> I'm going to just die in debt. <laughs> Give them about a hundred so you pray it can be cute. Um, um, but when I went there, I went there to save myself from Walnut Grove, Mississippi. Mm. Walnut Grove was like the most backwoods is, it's like the rural Mississippi. Like they still call us boy and gal. <laughs> like wow. it's 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 like you would think that you were nothing has changed. Like I remember I worked at a hatchery, a chicken plant, and we were in a van and they would travel around and we would do the vaccination for the chickens and they we would so we would stop in the van to go get our checks cashed and we stopped somewhere called the Cracker House. Wow. And I was getting out. It looks like a gas station. I was getting out and the black people did me like this. Mm-hmm. And I said, what's going on? And they said, oh, no, no, this is not for you. And I was like, like I'm confused. I'm from up north, so I don't, what? And they said, oh, no, no, they're not going to serve you in here. I was like, wait, this is 2000. It was 2000 at the time. This is 2000. And they was like, oh, of no girl. <laughs> Down here, they do what they want. This is their space, and the police can't do anything because they the KKK <laughs> so they don't want to do anything so I was trying to get out of that space this place okay. was depressing and so I went to college to get not because I had I sure. knew what I wanted to be it was because I just wanted to get out of that get space get on campus mm-hmm. at least I'll be in a city Jackson wasn't too much different but it, I was in a city and I was around people and you were around when you come to college you're around people from all over so mm-hmm. especially when you go to HBCUs because Everybody comes from everywhere. You had a New York clique, you had a you had a um, Atlanta clique, a Texas clique, and you know everybody came together, of course. But you had everybody there. It was kind of crazy because my my aunt didn't want me to go because she says, "Oh, I remember in 1996, so there was a, a gay person that got um, that got beat really, really bad." And so that was a legend on the campus. So when I came and visited, they told me to see if this is a school that I want to go. They told me about it. And so, um, ironically, I, I still apply because, like I said, I'm a fighting bitch and I'm from the hood. So this kind of this y'all don't put no fear. We in got my hands heart. out we here. We got hands out here. So what's up? I don't know how it's gonna work, but I'm here. I'm here. What's up? So they put me in a boys' dorm. I knew that was gonna be problematic. But actually, it really wasn't because I grew up in a group home with a bunch of niggas. So living as a trans girl, so it wasn't really that hard for me to adjust. Um, I had a little situations, and they learned quickly I wasn't the one. And um, and ironically, my first year, I met the person that the legend was based on. Wow. So she had transitioned. At the time, she was a boy, and it did happen. The RAs let the boys into her dorm, and they jumped her oh my God. in the dorm. So, because they didn't want her in the dorm. 
So she came because she heard about me living there. Mm. And she was like, I just wanted to see who you were. And everybody's talking. And she had trans. At the time, she was a boy in 96. But at this time that I met her, she was a trans girl. And um, she stayed in my room. And we talked. And she gave me the history and told me the story of what happened. And um, and told me how to protect myself. And in that just making community with somebody that, I, I didn't know. Say, that's that community <laughs> right there. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, She's still around, she lives in Chicago, and she just gave me a lot of strength and a lot of courage and um, knew that I was on the right path, and I'm here for a reason. And even, I was, even, I knew I was doing, I was on the right path because gay people would congregate. So I became an RA of the dorm that I was in because you ain't about to play no games with me. <laughs> so I became an RA. And the gay people in the in the in the school would come to the office with me and we would just be congregating right there. And they they start calling me the ambassador. <laughs> Not the ambassador. And they would do <laughs> the ambassador. And they were just they it just it, I made I made them feel safe. I made them if they if I had the courage to deal with because it was clearly I was dealing with some stuff. Like they would throw oranges at me. Like I would be walking through the campus and I would just feel something hit my ass. And it'd be an orange that somebody done threw at me. Um just all kinds of just I would come into the cafeteria and you know how you it's all these weird tables like this and and I would sit down and everybody would get up. And it's not just cis dudes, it would be chicks, it would be gay people, everybody would get up so they wouldn't have to sit with me. And this is 2000, I'm thinking like, what? This isn't something, I, I, just, I felt so, so, so weird about it. Um, Cause I, didn't, I never experienced that. Because when I went to high school, where I was from, you had the, the straight niggas acting funny, but the gay people was cool. But even the gay people were acting funny. Like, I don't say about you, you too hot. They'll come late at night when I'm in the dorm and speak, hey girl, what's up? Da, 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 da. But baby, out on campus, on the street, they in their suits. <laughs> Acting like they don't even know you. Acting like they don't suck dick. Well, and there it is. I'm like, get out of here. So it was strange, but I knew I was in the, in the moment. I knew that I was in the right space because I needed to be here. Like this change needed to happen. So I stayed there and over that, them, like even they did a piece on me, on, they interviewed me on the local news and it just was a big deal to them. And people were coming to campus, like they were enrolling literally because, oh, everybody said that people get killed at Jason, because the legend turned into getting killed. She didn't get killed, she just got beat up. <laughs> <laughs> the legend turned that people had got killed in the past. So people weren't coming to this school. Queer people were not coming mm -hmm. to this school because that was the legend. And so me coming and dealing with what I deal with, baby, by the time I was a junior, senior, baby, the babies was out. <laughs> life. And, and it made me feel so good because they were acknowledging me in the moment saying, like, I wouldn't have came here if you hadn't been wow. here. Mm -hmm. And so... It was crazy. They did yeah. a lot of things wrong. The school, the HBCU, mm -hmm. did a lot of things wrong, but they also did a lot of things right. Mm -hmm. Because I, there were some people who were my allies, who did do what they needed to do to fight for me. Um, what are those things? Like, what can campuses tangibly do? Say, that was our next question. You just let us, let us right there. So, 
let me tell you what they did wrong the very first time. So they said they had a, a freshman meeting that, um, like an orientation meeting or something. We had already did this, so we didn't know why we had to get another one. I walk into the room, and this meeting is about me. <laughs> this meeting is not about all freshmen. This meeting is about me. There was boys on this side, girls on this side, and a hall in one of these tables on the auditorium stage and all the police department, because there's an actual police station in, on the campus. Um, and so they were up there, and they got to talking, and I just knew it was about me, and my body just went into heat. Like, the, the sh it, I don't wanna say, it was shame. It felt like shame, but I'm like, oh my God, why are they calling me out like this? Like, I didn't want this. And so they were like, if y'all do something to this person, y'all going to jail, and like, they, they, their intentions. Who, who was saying this? This is the, the police officers. Okay. Um, their intentions were good. But how they went about it was not great. It was embarrassing. The the guys were saying stuff like, "Why did y'all put that it in our dorm?" Um, the and I'm sitting in the middle of the auditorium, like, "What the fuck is going on?" Wow. Like I don't want to be here, but I don't want to seem weak. And I because my philosophy was, if they see you weak, they will. It will get worse. And so I'm sitting there. And I'm saying shit, when they say shit like that, I'm like, I don't want to be in there with y'all fucking motherfuckers anyway. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll say, y'all have y'all motherfuckers rapists, because that's a, a legend on this campus too. <laughs> the, the, the cops? No, not the cops, but um, the, guys the students. The, the, guys, oh, okay. the guys that were saying things. Because I'm sorry, I mean, the police do do that. That's, <laughs> the police do that's that. for a different yes, episode. Go ahead. <laughs> so um, the girls was like, why didn't y'all put her in our dorm? And then another girl would be like, I don't know, I want that in there with me. You get what I'm saying? It was just, it's just so everybody had different opinions, but I didn't, I didn't feel like this was the platform for them to do that, mm -hmm. how they did it. Um, I don't know what to, what they could have done. That's what I was going to ask. In you. that regard, no. Um, but they had to, do, the right thing to do, first of all, make bathrooms accessible to me. In the beginning, I never had any issue with the bathroom. Like, I never had bathroom issues there until like my junior year, which was kind of weird. It just kind of came to a surprise. I was in a computer room. I went to the bathroom, came back to the computer room, finished my paper, and one of the administration saw me in the bathroom. So she was coming out. She was washing her hands, and I was coming in. So I didn't speak to her. I didn't say, I think I said like, hey. You know, like when you walk past somebody and sometimes you just, kind of accidentally say hey because you don't really know them or how old, old them or high but I was like hey and went into the bathroom she was out by the time she was washing her hands so she was done she was out and then I came out and went back next thing I know four security guards four police officers I'm sorry came to the computer room and were like hey come here and I came out and they were like did you go to the bathroom upstairs yes well we got a complaint that you're using the girls bathroom and they brought me upstairs to where the woman was. And the woman was like, yeah, that's him. And I'm like, I'm like, is this happening? I'm angry. And I'm like, well, where y'all want me to go? Because if, now y'all know the history of the campus. If I go into the male bathroom, what do you think gonna happen there? What do you think? Do you think I'm, somebody's not gonna do something to me if, I, if, this, if it's a possibility? And so, Luckily, I had beautiful friends, and they were just right there, ratchet black girls, mm -hmm. like, as usual, <laughs> as usual. So, bitch, why are you? They were going off on her. Mm -hmm. Like, don't nobody want your old ass? 
going off. And I didn't really have to say much. I just was standing there and they was going off. And so the police officer was like, oh, this is stupid. And, and was like, we out of here. And left. I went back to the bathroom 15 minutes later just to be a bitch. Naturally. And her just to be a bitch called the police again. Wow. This back and forth went for a whole hour. She called the police back there four times. So much so that the police officer said, stop calling us. You are not in danger. You are doing this because you're being petty. Administrator? Administrator. Didn't she have other shit to do? I think, I think she was the secretary of a dean, I think. She didn't have no forms to be processed. <laughs> People just were kind of registered, disenrolled, dropped, Um, I think that there should be co-ed, an option for a co-ed dorm. Mm. Because I think that, I think cis women have a right to feel safe. Now, I don't, I can't control them feeling safe around me. Sometimes, because of their level of ignorance, that they might not feel safe. And I understand, this is a world that doesn't make it safe for cis women. I just think that that's true. So I think that they should have the option to be in an all-female dorm. Um, I think they should have the option to if they want to, but I think we should also have an option for us as well. So I think that's a happy medium that I would, I would, I can't tell you that sure. all trans folks would be comfortable with it, but me personally, I would be okay with having the option of a co-ed dorm. Um, it wouldn't be something that, um, that would make me uncomfortable mm -hmm. or dysphoric or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So um, do more outreach, like in that particular space, if they had outreach, to students in high school, queer students, outreach to bring to the school, okay. they wouldn't have the fear of what happened. They would be able to explain it or explain things that they're doing to implement to make it more safe right. for queer folks. And so um, doing outreach to high schoolers that may be queer, that really specific outreach. So targeted. Target outreach. outreach. Okay. I think that would be good. Um, yeah, give us some money to come to your school. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's the real. black ass bottom line. That, that's, that's real. Um, just, I mean, I feel like it comes through um, in talking to you and like having you here today, but you're just such a treasure trove and a wealth of Thank knowledge um, and information. So, um, one of the questions we have is like, what spaces and we know that institutions are not just jumping to give any kind of uh, any kind of radical history in general but specifically any kind of um, meaningful real history around uh, black trans folks so what are the what spaces outside of the university and outside of formal uh, educational institutions like have you have you learned and have been informative for you oh wow somebody that is freaking awesome is Monica Roberts Yes. She has a blog that's been around for years, years, and it is just, as you say, a treasure trove of information about, like, she literally went through archives of Ebony Magazine, Jet Magazine, and all Essence Magazine, like, archives of them that they hadn't even published on the internet yet, because, you know, they're, they're in the process of trying to put all of their old archive magazines on the internet, digitalize them. And so she was able to be able to go through them prior to them being digitalized and go through and literally find. That is painstaking work. Painstaking work and find articles that really was trans specific mm -hmm. and queer specific. And she collected them and put them all on her website. And her, her website is just a, 
got a wealth of knowledge about um, queer folk because she featured everybody, queer women, queer trans women, queer um, um, white people, queer anything that radical white people, not just any queer white people, but radical white people. Um, she's black as fuck. She is just queer as fuck. She's just trans as fuck. She is just everything. Uh, just an old head and just I admire her and so she teaches me every time that I um, that I go to her site so that's one area um, like lived experience is really yeah. really important like it's just really important there's some things that I couldn't learn I couldn't learn in school at all like nobody could nobody could teach me how to navigate a space control my anger in a space where people were throwing fucking oranges at me that was a lived experience that I needed to learn because now when I'm in these spaces with these white people and they're being problematic, I don't pop off and I only lose my job <laughs> that I really, really need. I learned, I've, I've put myself through the fire and, um, and it just taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about allyship. It taught me a lot about um, how to say what I need because mm. I had to live through it. I didn't know what I was going to need because I was coming from high school. I was coming from high school. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I needed. I didn't know that that situation was not going to be good. If somebody would have told me prior to that situation happened with the auditorium, I would have been like, oh my gosh, that's so great that they're doing that for me. But I didn't know it was going to happen. And it just was uncomfortable. And that didn't work. It was a trial and error. Right. You get that I can that I can now hindsight tell you that this is how this worked. This worked well. This is what didn't work. Um, just tons of experience, like like light skin and dark skin stuff. So let's talk about colorism. Well, let's talk about it. I remember, like I had to, I had to, I had to go through shit to learn like the privileges of light skin because I grew up in a colorism fucking family where light skin was the thing. That was the praise that was the oh yeah you oh just you know how old people talk when it comes to color and so I had to unlearn these things now my mother was a brown girl so she was really particular and even though she was affected by all her men was light-skinned pretty hair da, 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 what she considered that um, she she knew that there was a colorism issue because she was a brown girl and so she really said things that was like, mm -mm, you ain't better than nobody because you high yellow, da, da 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 She said stuff to put you in check, but then other things that she did was kind of contradictory to well, that. It so it was kind of it was kind of that. So I remember when I first came to school and I was from Indiana, so coming to Mississippi, you know, you got out-of-state fees. So I was trying to get in school and my out-of-state fees weren't being waived this particular year and the amount of money wasn't enough or something it was it would have been enough if they would have waived the state the out-of-state fees and so i come up to the window and it was like four dark-skinned women older women at the counter and every like everything that i i thought it was just them doing their job initially but everything they were just kind of shutting me down Initially, I didn't think of it as a colorism thing. I just thought that, oh, you don't have the money and they're just doing their job. That's what I thought. Until my homegirl, who was a darker skinned girl, she had the same issue as me. And she was from out of state. And for whatever reason, they did magic and made it work. And I was like, hmm, okay. One of the ladies, the only light skinned lady who worked there, when I was walking out of the building, she came and got me and brought me into the back office 
and says, yeah, these dark-skinned bitches don't like us. And that's why they didn't do that for you. You see, they doing it for other dark-skinned girls, huh? Let me show them. And she waived my out-of-state fees. So for me, the whole situation was uncomfortable because I don't like what you doing and I don't like what they doing. And we at an HBC motherfucking you. Y'all fucking should know better. Like, I don't like none of this. Nah, I'm gonna say too much because I want my wave fees way. You're still living in this society. I wasn't as well to be able to stand up to that. Uh, but I know I was uncomfortable with how all the system was working mm -hmm. because this is of all places of where this should be going, not going on. It should be here. Jackson State University, we have protests and shit here. Like, why are we, like, why are we going through this? It was just re really weird. And so, it was just tons of um, just weird stuff, like with Jay Sets and how they had a history mm -hmm. of being light skinned. And yeah. it, these these experiences, these lived experiences, taught me a lot about colorism. Mm -hmm. Taught me a lot about um, capitalism and just how um, there should be other ways people should get to school without money. Mm -hmm. Education should be free. Free. It mm -hmm. should That's be right. something that we should be able to get if we pursue it. So I think the lived experience is what. Um, really what has taught me all the things that I know. Because I mean, what can you do with a, a lot of the stuff that they do teach you that's, that's practical? <laughs> I mean, some things, yeah, but. Roll it up and use it as kindling in a fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> that's about, <laughs> that's about all um, we can do with that. It's just, um, I guess lastly, one of our listeners asked us this on our last, on our 50th uh, episode, and it's just, I think it's, we think it's just such a great, Question. So, uh, where would you like to see uh, queer people of color in 50 years? Oh, wow. Um, everybody more fluid. Because um, the binary is bullshit. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm okay with the binary, but I do. I'm, I'm, we all are evolving. And even me, I don't have all the answers. And I'm starting to see problems with the binary. I'm starting to see how that can be a crux of the problem that we are going through. So, more fluid, more queer as fuck. Yeah. Um, I want us to be have more safe spaces. I want all the Republicans to die. <laughs> That's the right answer. I want, um, yeah. I just, I yeah. just want, I want the people. I want the people. I, I just feel like. You know that's what's gonna have to happen. The old people they just gotta die. They have to die, yeah. <laughs> like because they're so stubborn and they're so set in their ways. That's what it is. Bring back the guillotine. <laughs> that's, that's, that's where I do. machete shotguns. <laughs> so I, I would love that. I love. I would love mm -hmm. us to be healthy. I would love us to um, be in loving relationships. I think as I get older, yes, the my aging is putting me in. Um, a slow creeping up panic where I, I'm, I'm not gonna, I don't have sex with people who I can have children with. Mm. So um, I won't have children to take care of me. I won't have, um, if I outlive my family, who is gonna take care of me? Am I gonna be mistreated, mm. getting freaky pictures taken of if I'm a senior citizen that can't take care of myself because I'm the freak training right. in the nursing home? It, those things is something that I have to worry about. Now I'm not that old, but you know, I'm, it's, it's getting to that where I have to think you about think these about things it, and sure. what do I do? So I hope that I have um, a plan that's in place and mm -hmm. that every queer person that may 
because when you get older, it get, I know some isolated queer queer folks. Yeah. yeah. Um, that I'm not. I like you guys did an interview with Barbara Barbara Smith, and and I was I was thinking about her circle, like yeah. her her care circle, and I was like, that was a brilliant idea because we need a care circle care circle for Miss um, Major Gracie. Yes, right. Yeah. We and we need a care. There's so many. We're living longer, and so. I know that there's some people that really beat the odds and the, the the life expectancy of a trans person is 35. And for humans, <laughs> that it hasn't been 35 since we was fighting mammoths and shit. <laughs> 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 it hasn't been that long oh since God. then. So for, you know, so there's some people who really have beat the odds who are older. And and I see them making it work like they're coming and living together. Because yeah. Miss Gracie lives with Miss Sharon Gracie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just, prior to her passing away, um, Bobby Jean um, Baker, she got killed in 2015 by a drunk driver during New Year's. But they all three lived together and was taking care of each other. And I thought stuff like that is amazing. But um, I don't know. I just, I want, I want it to be something more I hope it, the future is brighter. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to move us on along mm. into our last segment. We're going to try to keep it short because I know we've been here a minute. But before we get into Curve Chronicles, I just want to give a shout out to the interpreters. Yes. Who have made yes. Like all day completely yes. accessible. So just like thank y'all thank so, you all much. so much. I know y'all must be tired. Right. Y'all been here all day. I really hope y'all got some lunch. <laughs> just like thank you so much thank you are you. much appreciated truly um and so this is our last segment curve chronicles curve, uh, curve, curve. okay <laughs> I, was like, I was waiting for the um sound effects um and this is where we talk about our dating woes and wins mostly woes for me mostly wins for nikita um <laughs> But yeah, so we just wanted to, you know, like real quickly, like check in with Miss Diamond hey. Styles about love and dating. So um, on y'all's one year episode recently, mm-hmm. you said that love was elusive. I think was the word you used because like I was God. like, ooh, I need to look that up. <laughs> um, and so like, what is it like dating for you? Um, it's beautiful and scary and amazing and like uh, it's so many it's so many things it really just depends on the person that you come in contact with with like with everybody else right so um the atmosphere of society does not make it easy for a man to openly love a trans woman Mm -hmm. it just that's just not what it is um shit they barely can get their hair cut or dress in a certain way without people policing them (laughs) <laughs> so it's just something that's kind of really, really difficult. But um, I so do, I know. You, oh, sorry. I do. Mm-hmm. Fi- I do find some men that are comfortable and amazing, and I have a great time with them. It's rare, but I d- it's not impossible. I do find it. So I know you was like toying with the idea of opening up um, mm-hmm. your your dating options to Absolutely. include. You trying to shoot your shot right now? <laughs> Love? I love when money shoots her shot and the always like, shoots her down. Exactly. You don't know. Like, my bae could be listening to that episode and you shut me down on it. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to curb mm-hmm. you. Anyway. Um, like, where... Is that, is that an okay question? Like, where are you with that? Like, how... How open are your options for love and dating? So, unfortunately, I'm really, really... My mind and how it works is really binary. So... 
if I if I'm open to it, but they have to be the aggressor. I like to be chased, so I can't I can't like I can't be like wondering. Oh, she's cute. Hmm. I'm gonna sit there and say, hmm. If you don't, if you, <laughs> if you don't uh, uh, chase me, it's never gonna happen. And I think that's one of the reasons why it hasn't happened because I like to be chased. I like yeah. for somebody to be aggressive. I like somebody to say, "This is I like you. What's up?" Mm -hmm. And so, and I'm used to that from men because that's kind of how they navigate the world. Sure. So I'm like, okay, I like this. Oh, yeah. you like me? I'm cute. Yeah. And so if if I like that person then it is what it is and a lot of times like everybody else somebody who does have that personality i don't really like them like that <laughs> it's like uh, i've I had people approach me and i'm like mm -hmm, thanks <laughs> um and then and then it's hard to navigate that experimentation and you know, I don't know. No, if I'm it's not. You just, <laughs> just the being somebody, I don't know how comfortable I am because I'm a black trans woman and we are objectified to a certain sure. level. I, it, I don't want somebody else to feel that way if I'm using them yeah, as sure. an experimentation. Now, of course, I know that comes with communication and if they're okay mm -hmm, with how mm -hmm, we get down. Mm -hmm. and of course, that. But it sometimes it kind of feels awkward. Mm -hmm. It feels weird. So um, it's just about how they approach me. I think it's an option. Okay. But, and I and I'm attracted to masculinity. Um, body parts, I can get around that. Mm -hmm. You taking mental notes? <laughs> <laughs> I may or may not be. Um, it, it was just making making me think though, like uh, a conversation we were having last night around like binaries, not just in the way we think about them as like mm -hmm. like oppressive binaries, but like the internalized binaries that we Absolutely. create. Because I think I, I'm pretty femme. But I also have like a, an aggressive energy. like energy, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, so I will be the person to be like, I like you, what up? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, are you asking? Me, are you asking me to marry me? <laughs> I'm, I was I'm like, ready. what is happening? I'm just gonna like roll <laughs> away. But I think sometimes people are like, oh, because like you're not you're not expecting like I guess like a femme presenting person to mm -hmm. be like, what's good? Like uh, I like you. I think you like me. I mean, why would you not? Um, and like people don't people don't expect that from mm -hmm. like femme presenting folks. And then I'm, I'm even thinking about like sort of like the femme Oreo that you are. That like mm -hmm. it's because you present like boyish and like would you consider yourself masculine presenting? Yeah. Okay. That like when you do your dainty flower, which is your personality, it's like your your essence. <laughs> The legs cross. I'm listening. I think it throws people. Yeah. They're like, wait a minute, Nikita's a girl. I'm like, uh, yeah, a girly, girly girl. Yeah. That hurt. Yeah. I think it throws people because they are invested in the binary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it, if anybody who is not invested in that bullshit, like they have way more freedom to explore different options mm -hmm. and I think for me I'm getting out of that investment like mm -hmm. I'm getting it used to be I only want a tall dark-skinned nappy head dude that's what I like because that was a part of my pathology mm -hmm. the this is the most what society says is the most masculine thing sure mm -hmm. I don't want you to have curly hair I don't want you to have funny color eyes. I want you to have big lips, big nose, big dick, and dark skin. I need you because that's the most masculine thing that you can be because it validates my womanhood. 
because I want to be the opposite of you. Dainty so like, and feminine to the Exactly. Right. So, and if you chose me, then my womanhood then is validated validate even yeah. more. Sure. So that's what, I, once I realize that pathology, and I'm like, mm, this might be a little dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> this might be, this might not be putting me in the right position to open me up to other opportunities. Mm. And so now I'm getting there. I'm not fully there. I'm working mm-hmm. on of course. the options. And I just and, think it's beautiful to like see that like yeah. process. Yeah. And yeah. For, for you to like be, I don't, I don't know what words to use because you're definitely not like an elder, but like because of the violence and like oppression our mm-hmm. communities face, you're an elder in the community, right. just like I am here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's great to also see that and growing. To, like yeah. growing, yeah. yeah. Cause like so many times, like elders get like stuck in their mm-hmm. space Absolutely. and like, I'm, I, don't, I don't have no more growing to do, mm-hmm. but like, that's why I like love you so much. That's why I admire you so much Thank because you. you like growing never stops. Nope. It's like I'm I'm this is something I'm working through. Like I realize like this is something that I've internalized. And there has to be a generational exchange. Yeah. Like young people taught me about non-binary. We weren't mm-hmm. fucking using that language yeah. when I was in college or high school. Mm-hmm. Like what's that mean? Mm-hmm. Like I I'm like, what? You like to be with a beard and a dress? That's not the type of trans woman I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I come from. But it would be hypocritical and very cis wet for me yeah. to say, Oh, that's not how you supposed to yeah you see what i'm saying and acknowledging that and having that exchange with young people and um and them teaching me some shit and i'm saying hey this is what i got to teach you i think that that's what that's the right that's what the old folks didn't do yeah in the civil rights movement that's what they you know they kind of marginalize the young people that's what the contention with snick and and all that kind of stuff so i think that we can learn from those mistakes and bring young people along and take and not take um um see what they have to offer the table too because they do they have something yes. to offer and all those people like Freya Hampton and all those milkshake mm-hmm. people they <laughs> strong hearts milkshake people <laughs> all those people they were young they were freaking yes. for, yeah sometimes you think of them as like oh these old, are older, older but they yeah. when it was going on they were like in their early 20s, 20s 18s yeah. and da, 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 da. so they have something to offer mm-hmm. yeah I just want to say uh, I'm, I didn't mean to cut you off, no, money. No, no. I just want to say thank you. Um, something I admire about both of you, because you know I'm the total opposite. Like just, you know, you don't have to be transparent about mm-hmm. the growing process. And something I really admire and appreciate about you both is your vulnerability. And it's like mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, we know I'm like a tight-lipped, <laughs> mummified. Um, Clearly, kind of, I would have never guessed that about you. Mm. Moving right along. <laughs> and so, thank you. Like, because you can have, again, a growing process, but it doesn't mean that you're always like transparent yes. about it. So, um, thank you uh, for allowing us, you know, yeah. to experience that and share that, thank sharing you. that with us. And thank you for helping us do our program. That's, yes. that's a program. Yes. Thank, thank you. y'all. Yes. Thank you. <laughs>